This week's episode is being brought to you by our sponsor, Pets Best Pet Health Insurance. Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. Andy and I are having a great conversation today with our dear friend, Dr. Peter Weinstein. For those of you who don't know Peter, he is an author, having co-wrote The E-Myth Veterinarian with Michael E. Gerber. He's a veterinarian. He's been a practice owner. He sat on more committees and boards in the veterinary industry than I can count. And as always, Peter is willing to share his ideas and thoughts freely with Andy and I. And so when Andy and I were thinking about a series of conversations about money in veterinary industry, we could think of no better person to have some of this conversation with than Peter because uh, he's got a lot of experience. He's got some unique perspectives. And Andy and I wanted to talk in particular a little bit about where are we at when it comes to pet owners paying for services? Do we really have a problem? If so, what problems do we have? How do we get access to more service for clients? And how do we communicate about pricing? Let's get into it. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, along with Stephanie Goss, and the one and only Dr. Peter Weinstein. Peter Weinstein, thanks for being here. Dr. Rourke, it is an honor and a pleasure to be able to hang with you, but more importantly, it's an honor and a pleasure to hang with Stephanie. So thank you for the invitation. Thanks, Peter. It's so good to see your face. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing wonderfully. And of course, those people who are listening to this can't see my face, but uh, (laughs) I'm glad you can. Yeah, I I remember uh, we did a we did a live podcast episode one time in Kansas City and uh, and I was introduced and people were like, yay. And Stephanie was introduced and the place just went bananas. And I thought, no, that's that's how this is. That's. The technicians never get the, res- the respect that they deserve, and Stephanie got it there, and, and you got this. Oh, Stephanie, uh, <laughs> Stephanie, you never, you've never been, you were never a, a vet assistant, or were you were always yeah. a practice manager, correct? No, yeah, no, I I uh, started at the front desk, and then uh, went went to school and became a technician. But I did that about the same time I became a practice manager. I quickly realized that. Well, I really liked nerding out on the medicine. I was I was really good at working with people and the business side was really interesting, but I have done both. That's knocked me over the feather. That's, <laughs> that is a part of you. I, I can't believe I didn't know that or I didn't remember it's that. So That's funny. Incredible. I thought you were going to tell this story about Kansas City when the lights went out <laughs> and we were having oh, technical was... difficulties. <laughs> that, we yeah, that was another one. Going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We were recording a podcast and like hundreds of people were watching and then all the lights went out as they was on a timer and we were plunged into darkness. And I was like, just ask, act natural, Gus. Act natural. Keep okay. It's perfect for today, Friday. It has been a day with technical difficulties. And, yeah. Uh, but we are all here and I am excited for this podcast because we're going to, the three of us are going to nerd out about stuff we like talking about. We are. Uh, I wanted to talk today. I wanted to talk a bit about some, uh, I always like to have these high level conversations. I very much enjoy having with Peter uh, and always with Stephanie. We talk about stuff all the time, but um, high level conversations. Uh, There's a lot of chatter about raising staff pay, which is happening and which is good. Um, There is a lot of chatter about keeping vet medicine affordable for people. And and that that manifests a lot of different ways. There's talks about pet health equity and things like that Mm -hmm. and underserved uh, communities and and also uh, equity and availability to help drive diversity in our 
a very white profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot of talk about, about, about money and medicine. And I wanted to unpack some of that today because it's hard for me to determine what is real in this conversation and what is hand-waving. And so I, I just want to go ahead and open this up with the, uh, with the question of where are we when it comes to pet owners paying for services? Uh, a lot of people say that price is a problem. Is, do you guys think that that's true or do you think that we're just biased towards the bad experiences when we have people who are not able or willing to pay for services. So let's just open with that. Do you think that that pricing in medicine at present is a is a real problem? Well, I, I, I think that pricing is a problem in everything. And it's yeah. the cost of gasoline in Southern California is two dollars a gallon less than it is in Texas. So it, pricing is going to be an issue for somebody somewhere. We've got such a discrepancy in income amongst the American population that within our our own practices, we have pet owners with different levels of income. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we can talk about pricing. I'm not even sure we can talk about cost without talking about the truly diverse demographics that we serve in all our practices and and trying to be everything to everybody Mm -hmm. makes it very challenging as well. So affordability, equity, availability, spectrum of care, all of these Pandora box topics, um, I'm not sure we can cover in 45 minutes or an hour or even weeks because there are so many variables that you're getting at right now. No, I I, I agree with that. I think um, to your point, Andy, I think that it is very easy for our teams in particular to latch on to the negative experiences or the bad experiences with clients, right? It's the client who comes in and is ranting at your front desk and shouting at them, literally shouting because they don't want to pay for an exam to get their rabies vaccine. And they're mad that it's costing what it's costing to get that, right? Those are the kind of experiences that stick out in our brains. And so it is very easy for the whole team to paint a very broad brushstroke across the client experience when it comes to price and say, well, clients are clients are mad about our prices or clients are upset, especially when they are living day in and day out with people as a whole that are that are frustrated with life. There's a lot of people that are mad about life right now and who are tired and exhausted. And the last two years have been crazy for everybody. And so I think to a degree, I think the team's response right now is particularly colored by that maybe more than it has been in the past. And I also think that we are still struggling as an industry to Peter's point, to look at all of the, the, the things that make up, how do we approach pricing? Because it is so varied. The demographics Mm -hmm. are varied. The cost factors for individual practices are varied. And we, as a, as an industry have really struggled with, How do we educate clients on that? How do we explain that? Because the ones who try when we have tried, I know I have done this. I've been in that conversation with a client and I think about it at the end of the conversation and I go, they didn't care about any of that. Like I'm trying to explain to them, you know, why why the fact that we have a $60,000 x-ray machine sitting in our hospital and being used makes the price of their pet's exam what it is, right? Like we've all been there and struggled to communicate 
to owners why our pricing is the way that it is. And so I think that that is something that we have to deal with. But to Peter's point, it is is really hard because there are so many factors that complicate the money conversation in veterinary medicine. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, th- I think it's I think it's very regional, right? I, I think, I mean, I've worked at some practices where I felt like, man, I am having money conversations all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And I've worked at other practices where I go, I, less so, you know, not not zero, but but less so. I, I'm convinced that specialty medicine probably talks less about medicine um, about money than than general practice. And, and the general practice money conversations seem to me to be much lower stress and lower stakes than what the emergency clinics have. And that's just because these people are showing they have an emergency and now they're talking about money as opposed to me saying, hey, here's a vaccine that your would be good for your pet, you know, and, and they're kind of going, oh, I don't know, or do I really want the flea medicine? My pet doesn't currently have fleas. That's not how it is in emergency medicine. No one's there for preventive care. They have a, they have a pressing need. And so those, mm-hmm. those problems are, are, are really hard. At the same time, you know, stuff, so you brought up the, you know, $60,000 x-ray machine and stuff like that. I was, I was in a, I was in the treatment room yesterday and I had this uh, Dalmatian. He was like one year old. And he was a nutball. I mean, not 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 bad. He, I mean, he was he was a nut. He was he was he was wound. So you know, those dogs that are just like a spring that is way overwound. That that was this guy, and it was me and a technician and an assistant, all just kind of trying to get him to calm down, so I could just do a physical exam that right. wasn't a rodeo, you know. And so so I've got somebody who's sort of helping to hold him, and then someone else who's sort of trying to just talk to him and give him some treats and things like that. And I'm trying to sort of start palpating his abdomen and stuff, and. It tied the three of us up for 15 minutes, probably, you know, uh, that, and that's just for the exam. And then by the time we run back and forth and stuff and you go, you know, this pet owner came in for a 30 minute appointment. That's a half an hour of doctor time. Mm-hmm. It's a half an hour of licensed veterinary technician time and a half an hour of assistant time. Plus the front desk person is sitting up front and they're also being paid for their time, you know, and you go, I, I, I don't think that we're wildly overpriced for what people get when you look at the labor that it takes to do our job and do it well, and especially do it in a low stress or, or minimal stress environment. And so, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't, I never handle it well when people are like, oh, we charge too much. I go, no, I, I don't believe that we charge too much. I 100% understand that people can struggle to pay for it. And I'm not saying it's not expensive because it is expensive. Mm-hmm. But but when I look at what we provide, I go, well, I, I this does not seem unreasonable for the services that we provide, to me at least. Yeah, I, I, I concur. It's just the perception. I mean, it's all about perception. And, and if you think about it, Andy, if you were to take a $200,000 salary over the year, it's equivalent to $100 an hour. So mm-hmm. 50, half an hour of your time would be $50. Um, your tech time is probably $20 an hour. There's another $10. And then your assistance time might be uh, $15. So maybe it's another $8. So there's $68 for that visit. And I don't know what your office call is, but that doesn't include all the overhead. So what the right. price that the clients see doesn't reflect the cost to, to deliver those experiences. <laughs> and what I don't think that we've done a very good job of as a profession is clearly giving a good value for the price and explaining the cost. Probably about 20 years ago, um, out of Tampa, Hillsborough County produced a a flyer called The Cost of Compassion. I don't know if you remember that. You probably were still nursing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, <laughs> but we haven't done a really good job of self-promoting the value proposition of the veterinary profession globally. Mm-hmm. We've, we've spent our time pumping vaccinations and selling vaccinations and giving away exams for free instead of charging for exams and giving vaccinations for free. Mm-hmm. So we really do need, we need to be our own best cheerleaders so people truly can understand all of the different services that veterinarians can provide. Because think of the convenience by going to your hospital. They don't have to go to another place to get a blood test done. They don't need to go to another place to get a um, radiographs taken. You know, I, I just, can you tell me a doctor, uh, Stephanie or, or Andy, where you can go in and get a colonoscopy, a dentistry, go home with a pedicure, a manicure, a bath, <laughs> and a bag of food, all in one location no. in one day. No, no, no. And that's the thing is that when we have those conversations, um, I, I've had these conversations with family and I have put it in that frame of reference, Peter. And and every time it's like the light bulb goes on. But the problem that we have struggled with as an industry is how do we turn that light bulb on for more people more often? Because when yeah. people really stop and think about it and understand what we're offering, you know, it's the question of when's the last time you went to your doctor and they recommended blood work or x-rays and you didn't have to go to one at least two other places to get that done, right? And and so when they think about it in their own context for their own health, they understand it. But we struggle to help them connect the dots back to this is A, why it's, you know, expensive and B, why it might take more time or there might be more steps involved. Like we have really struggled to connect those dots for people, I think. You know, Stephanie, one other thing, they can pick up a prescription before they leave and they don't have to go to the drugstore as well. I mean, right. we just have done a really poor job of self-promotion. We really need to put on a cheerleader outfit. I'm looking forward to seeing Andy in a cheerleader outfit. <laughs> um, and start to be a cheerleader for our, promo- our profession. Yeah. I did an interview with... Uh, David Bessler, and he's the um, he's one of the co-founders of Veg, the Vet Emergency Group, and I I really I really liked the interview with him. I think he's fascinating. And one of the things that he said, so we're talking about at, at Veg, they uh, they have these policies where it's things like um, as soon as the pet owner comes in, they go straight to see the doctor, but before they fill out uh, paperwork, even, and that blew that blew my mind. I was like, what? How do you even do that? Um, but but he said he, he said it was important, and. What he talked about was, he said, you know, in emergency care, people are mad uh, a lot of the time. And, and, and we talk about everybody being burned out because the clients are mad. And he said, we do these things that make them angry. Like we put barriers in that, that tick them off. And then we deal with them being ticked off all the time. And he said, you know, if we just stop doing these things that make people mad, uh, they're a whole lot easier to deal with. And, and I've, I've just been thinking about that a lot. And, and and so let me let me put this back to you guys and say, are we doing things that just make pet owners mad or that escalate these situations that we don't need to be doing? And I, 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 to me, this feels very much like we don't promote ourselves uh, and let people know what we're doing. That's that's part of it. Are there other things we do that in, that unintentionally make the situation worse? Well, depending on your definition of mad, are you talking about from a sanity level or from an anger level? Raving madness. <laughs> no, uh, frustration level. Yeah. All right. Because honestly, the last 20 months or so have created a tremendous amount of mental health issues, not just in the veterinary profession, but in the world in general. Mm-hmm. 
But we still had issues prior to COVID and we will have issues after COVID because we have put up barriers. We have not made access easy. We haven't communicated clearly. And when the answering, when somebody answers the phone and says, please have $500 already and available before you come in, we just set up a barrier to access. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think part of what we need to recognize in this profession is that we have moved from the healthcare world to to the service world and that we should start to create a service-based industry that clearly focuses on the needs of the pet and the pet owner from a service standpoint and that we can provide those services. We need to listen more and talk Mm -hmm. less. We need to be listening to what our clients want and start to build practices for their needs. And so what Veg is trying to do and some other companies are trying to do is to meet those needs. We really have not listened to what clients wanted and cost of care, access to care. And access to care isn't just financial. Access to care is hours that you're open, Mm -hmm. locations for practices. It's it's the time that you're open in a two-income community so that people can drop their pets off on their way to work. So again, we have to start to think of us maybe more as a service industry and less of it as a healthcare industry. Yeah, no, I like like that a lot. Um, I think, I think that one of the things I, I completely agree with, you know, thinking about the needs of the, of the pet owner and kind of how we do that. I, I think that listening to what they want and what is important to them ideologically is also a place that we need to go. Right. We, we, I think so many of us have spent so much time fighting with pet owners about what is important mm-hmm. as opposed to just saying, look, they think that this is important or, you know, so I so use the example of um, nutrition and they say, you know, I want organic foods or I want, you know, a minimal ingredient foods mm-hmm. or things like that. And I go, I, I can, I can, I can fight with them about it or I can try to understand why they feel that way and then talk about our services and the things that we provide and we recommend in the context of what they care about as opposed to trying to get them to care about what I care about. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 f- I see a lot of people fighting that battle and I go, God, there's got to be an easier way. One of the things that I think we have always struggled about or struggled with, at least as long as I've been in veterinary medicine, is we also don't have nobody has enough time. And I, and I don't, I don't know how important this factor is, but I noticed a dramatic difference in the ability to lower some of those barriers to Peter's point. And to your point, Andy, to have the conversations that exists in a bubble where time exists. And, and so if I'm trying to do back to back 10 or 15 minute appointments, it is far harder to have a conversation with your one-year-old Dalmatian pet owner about why you might want to, uh, you know, think about lifelong care for this pet, right? To tra- to have the nutrition conversations, to have the conversations about, you know, like like pet insurance or um, the things that are not a two second blurb out of my mouth, right? And so I think that that has been a challenge for a lot of us is that we have struggled, particularly during this last two years, because we have all been so overwhelmed, and I think we have been seeing more patients. And we've also been really inefficient um, due to the changes we've had to make in our workflow. Some of us have become more efficient with curbside, but some of us have also become incredibly inefficient. And that impacts the time that we have to have some of these conversations and really figure out how do we lower these 
barriers for the owners? How do we find out what's important to them? How do we meet their needs? Um, and I think that that's a, to your point, Peter, about becoming a service industry, that's a big missed opportunity for a lot of us. So here's a thought. You have 30 minutes if you want to stay on time. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> I jest in, in lectures and I, I ask if how many of you would be willing to give away a free office call if you had to make your clients wait 10 minutes or more? And 99% of the people would never do it mm-hmm. because they can't stay on time. Mm-hmm. But you almost have to look at that 30 minutes and break it down to a minute-by-minute experience. Mm -hmm. How much of that time has to occur in the exam room? Um, How much of it can be done in YouTube videos that are sent ahead of time? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, we have this cost of care conversation at the front desk, which is tantamount to having it at at a Broadway theater, where somebody's on the stage wanting to perform. And they happen to be a really pissed off Hamlet or Othello or somebody. And they're at the front of the stage Uh wanting to put on a performance for everybody who is sitting in the lobby. Mm -hmm. Probably the best thing about curbside is taking payment at the car window and they have to shout through the window. But the bottom line is we could be doing a lot of of communication beforehand and afterwards so that there's no surprises. Mm -hmm. I I think the role of the veterinary profession going forward is to be totally transparent and to avoid surprises. Cost of care. I mean, maybe we should start publishing our fee schedules on our websites. And so people can see what the cost of care would be. Why don't we share our financial policies and have clients read them and sign that they've read them mm-hmm. a- ahead of time? I mean, we never talk to a dentist about the cost of care. You never talk to your doctor about the cost of care. When I had Lasix, $5,000 for a 15-minute procedure, I never talked to the doctor about the cost of care. It was presented to me well ahead of time. Right. But yeah. we get stuck in that conversation. So yeah. we really do need to rethink that 30 minutes and how we want to break it down. And really, I mean, if, if, if Andy's time is, is 10 minutes out of that 20, but Stephanie or some other team member could handle the other 20, the clients are going to probably get an even better value proposition mm-hmm. because they're getting a full 30 minutes of team time and it's not as doctor centric from that standpoint. And I'm sorry, I went off on a tangent, but <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, I, 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 no, I, I think, I, I think that's fine. I, I thought a lot about, you know, um, uh, about increasing, uh, increasing transparency in, in this way, you know, in a lot of human hospitals, you go in and they have patient rights and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And it used to be, it started off, it was a patient bill of rights, and then it, it generally changed to a patient bill of rights and responsibilities. And and I I think that that's good. And I, I think, you know, I hear a lot of, I hear a lot of us talking about personal boundaries and boundaries in our practice and, and clients beating people up. And I go, we should have pay, uh, client rights and responsibilities that say, mm-hmm. this is what you can expect from us. You know, this is this is how you will be treated and we will treat you this way. And this is what we expect from you in return. And if if this doesn't work for you, then you need you can go somewhere else. And I, I'm just a I'm a big believer in that in that sort of empowerment of um, this is a relationship that we have with clients. And in order for it to be a healthy relationship, you have to you have to tell people what to expect and mm-hmm. then you have to deliver what people expect from you. And that's just, you know, that's just basic relationship and trust building. But I, I think it's, I think it's where we need to go in, in vet medicine as well. But the whole thing of like, you're going to, Hey, pet owner kind of guess, guess what this is costing or guess where this is going to go. That, that That's not, that's not healthy. I think, I think our society as a whole is moving much toward more towards, Hey, here's what it is. You can Google around and find what, whatever you want to buy costs. 
and have an idea of what you're walking into, it still feels a bit opaque, I think, when they come into vet medicine. And we all know why that is. It's like when they walk in, I saw a little dog yesterday just, just in for lethargy. I'm like, I have no idea what's wrong with that dog before they come into the building. Um, you know, there's always gonna be some of that, but I do think that we can increase some transparency. And, um, you know, if they're gonna have a problem with the price, then it's better for everybody if they know it at the very beginning and we can just talk about that. I think <laughs> people underestimate how much of an extra headache it is to not have money conversations until the end or to get down this path of we've done these diagnostics and now let's talk about your budget. It was like, well, we should have talked about your budget before, you mm -hmm. know, before we, you know, we started running that blood work. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that, I think that, I think that that's the future I, to Peter's point. I, I think, uh, I think a lot of transparency there uh, is, you know, when, when I asked the question of do we do things that tick pet owners off or that make them mad, I think this is a pretty darn good example of things that we do to make them mad, which is we kind of bury the lead when it comes to talking about money. And then we wonder why, why tensions are high and they're frustrated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do we what do we do about it? You know, so Peter, you you and I have talked in the past about efficiencies, uh, inefficiencies in practice, and how and our ways of becoming more efficient. But um, you know, so inefficiencies, um, financial vehicles, things like that. Like I said, I I don't I don't see a lot. I don't I don't believe that vet medicine generally, and this is a broad generalization. I don't believe it's generally overpriced. I think people get what they pay for, whether or not they realize it. I think that that's true. I think that we can make them realize it, and that's something that we should do. Um, I think that it may be possible, and, and this is why I'm really enjoying seeing the spectrum of care discussion kind of bloom, and people start to talk about, hey, maybe there's multiple standards of care that are acceptable. How do we talk about those? How do we present those? How do we get pet owners to see the difference between them? Uh, how do we as vets handle there being a, a you know a, someone else at a different part of the spectrum of care operating down the road from us? Are we gonna be okay with that? Can we be okay with that? Um, I, I think those are all really fascinating, but as I kind of unpack those things for you guys, what are you looking at as far as paths forward to try to, to keep that medicine feasible for the majority of pet owners? Well, I think you have two topics that we need to occur, that we need to cover. One is the spectrum of care discussion, which is a practice act, state board, delivery of care discussion, because that, that will be a, an issue in, in some fashions. And then the, the, the transparency on the cost of care discussion. Um, I, I do think that, that the spectrum of care is an important because, you know, we were always told to give the gold standard or mm -hmm. the Cadillac standard or the Tesla standard, whatever you want to call it, and uh, try to talk the client into that standard of care. But um, I think where we really need to do is, is, is the, one of the, the most important questions I had on our uh, welcome to the practice form was where does the pet fit in your household? Where does the pet sleep? Because mm -hmm. you've got to understand how important that pet is to the family to most uh, importantly understand where their, their availability to, to pay may come in. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is, is, as Andy noted, we have the discussion of cost of care after we have created a level of anxiety yes. about yeah. the, the, cons the concerns that the pet owner has, whereas we really should have, and especially with a new client, before they even come in, send them your bill of rights and send them a financial policy that talks about the variable choices that they may have in how to pay for 
veterinary services, Mm -hmm. whether it, it is a pet health insurance that they probably never even heard of or knew about. Right. And maybe there are a couple of companies that you suggest that they sign up for and explain that, you know, pre-existing conditions aren't going to be covered, et cetera. And then maybe some third-party options, um, care credit, et cetera, that could fit into those discussions. Have those discussions ahead of time so that when they come in, they can focus on what's best for their pet and maybe can come in prepared on the financial side of things. So two discussions. One is a is a clinical discussion. And the other is a financial discussion when it comes down to it. I, I think that I think that there's a lot of knobs or, that we can turn in both of those discussions. I 100% think that there's things that we can do to better communicate, and uh, I think there's efficiencies that we can build in our practice. And we're seeing we're seeing some of those. I think I think the pandemic was good in that specific way of pushing us to make some changes and and pushing technology forward in a way that that I don't think otherwise would have happened. On the financial side. I mean, there's a pretty good indication that we could significantly increase uh, the number of pet owners that we see that have pet health insurance if if we just made if we just made clear recommendations and put it in their mind. And so part mm-hmm. of it is just making a recommendation and putting it on their on their on their uh, on their radar at the very beginning when it's a low stakes conversation. The the other part of it, I, I really think, is talking honestly with people about their chosen dog breeds. Um, yes. I mean, really, I, I saw, I, I saw, I saw a new study out just like this last week and it was amazing. It was like, it was the difference in cancer rates in boxers versus chihuahuas. It's amazing. It was mm-hmm. amazing. Like compared to your average dog, a chihuahua is like 50% less likely to get cancer than your average dog. And your boxer is, you know, a hundred and some percent more <laughs> likely. likely to get cancer. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, it really was. The English Cocker Spaniel was the worst dog yeah. for getting cancer that, that was out there. Um, mixed breeds were, were less likely to get cancer than, than purebreds just in general. It's just all these facts I just thought were fascinating. But these are the things that we talk to patterns about, right? And be like, hey... You've got a boxer. Uh, we should we should look at this. Or you know, every Dotson puppy I see is an easy conversation about common health problems. And hey, if I were you, I would take a look at pet health insurance just because these are things we want, we want to look out for. Westies with allergies, you know, um, a king a Cavalier King Charles and heart disease, and just just the list goes on and on and on. But just talking to the people about the pet that they have and being like, hey, this is. This is a chance to uh, to protect yourself from the very outset, and I just I don't think that we talk to them about finance before they need finance, and I think that's a problem. Yes, I think that's another example to the earlier point where we, as a as a whole, as an industry, really struggle to have that conversation until we're in the thick of it, and that immediately puts up a barrier for clients. And pisses them off because they're like, I've been a client of yours for five years. Why didn't you tell me that that my dachshund could need uh, to have surgery with a neurologist because disc uh, problems are real, right? Like I've watched clinics struggle with that conversation and it's hard for me. And it always hurts my heart when I hear about friends struggling with that because I'm like, why didn't you have that conversation with them, right? Like why didn't pet insurance the pet insurance conversation be in every single puppy 
conversation that you had with that owner because we know for a fact that the statistical chance is significantly higher and it may not happen to them. Their boxer might not get cancer or their doctor may not need surgery, but we know the statistics of it. And so it drives me crazy when we as a as an industry as a whole don't lean in more to some of the practices that are human healthcare um, counterparts have done to Peter's point, we're not, we're not doing a great job of sending them the information early and often. We're not having the conversations about how, how can they pay for pet care? We wait until they ask us, this could be a problem for me. How do I deal with it versus being proactive? And so I think that it creates incredible opportunity for us. So this is going to be a fairly long winded answer, I believe. So I apologize ahead of time. (laughs) <laughs> um, I, um, I've done a talk called creating a user's manual for pets. All right. You buy a car, they won't let you drive it off the lot until they teach you how to use all of the features and fa- fancy buttons and everything else. Mm-hmm. You buy a, a dryer, washer dryer. It comes with a user's manual. And if something goes wrong, it's like, you know, what frequently asked questions about a dryer that's not drying or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. We need to create a user's manual for a puppy from womb to tomb, what to expect on a year by year basis and some breed specific testing that you would do so that you can get ahead of the curve for glaucoma, for dry eye, for arthritis. And the focus on breed specific educations needs to start at the first puppy visit that says, God, I'm so glad you got a Cavalier King Charles. I'm going to go put my kid's college tuition in the bank right now because I can guarantee you that between ears, skin, <laughs> eyes, and heart, you have just paid for private uh, school. Now, I mean, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, okay, sorry about the sarcasm, but seriously, we th- this goes back to the transparency conversation. Yeah. And let me go retrograde in just a second. Why, doesn't, why don't pet owners come to the veterinarian and ask, which pet should I get? because it's going to cost me $10,000 for a French bulldog just to buy it and another $80,000 just to get it through its first two years of problems that it's got. <laughs> well, and, and, I, and I'll take that back as well to what you were talking about earlier on when you were talking about uh, the YouTube videos and, you know, and things like that. Like, why don't we have resources that don't involve us spending our time in the exam room? You know, things like this is, uh, it's, I think it's a fascinating idea of, how do you take this puppy and kitten information and package it up so that you get pet owners to consume it, not during their visit? You know what I mean? I, I mean, I, th- I think it would be fascinating to, to, to get a new puppy or kitten in and then have an email series that comes that has w- once a day you get here's an email and it's got here's a link to a short video on one thing. And then here's day two and here's day three. And people go, well, I mean, they're not going to open all those. They don't look at them. And I go, buddy, they're not listening to 90% of what you say in the exam room right now. You know, <laughs> at least this way they would have it in their inbox and they would be able to go back to it. And so I, I just, I, I'm very bullish on uh, on opportunities to do education like that. I think it's I think it's fun for me as a, as a vet who likes to teach. Um, and it's just interesting. But also, I, I think that we can do real good with it. Yeah, well, count me and I'm in with you from that standpoint. We have done a lousy job of education at all levels. And I think it's because of time constraints. And we really haven't done a very good job of communicating clearly and and teaching our staff the language of veterinary care. And so I'm going to just do a shout out to AVMA for their language of care study that just came out because there's some great tips and tools on how to better communicate with clients 
at all different levels, including the cost of care and cost savings issues mm-hmm. of those yeah. things. So I think it's I think it's important to start to shut down our practices for a little bit and learn how to communicate because this goes back to transparency. It goes back to honesty and trust mm-hmm. that we can create by having better communication. And I don't think the cost of care becomes as big an issue when there's trust. Have you read uh, Stephen M. R.'s Covey, um, The Speed of Trust? All right. I have not, no. This is Stephen, Stephen Covey's son. And basically, when people trust you, the transactions go much quicker. Mm-hmm. We need oh, yeah. to do a much better job of building trust. And then that 30 minutes becomes 10 minutes because when you tell the client what the needs are, they trust you and you can move forward from that standpoint. So, I mean, we've talked about a heck of a lot of stuff, but honestly, it's really all about communication, building trust and transparency about the value, about the different services that we were there and also about listening because I don't think we listen to clients enough. I this The state motto of North Carolina translates from Latin to uh, to be rather than to seem. And I, and, I, and I love that. And I think about that a lot, to be rather than to seem. I I think that it's it almost feels like sometimes we 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 try to present ourselves in in a way to entice pet owners and I, and I'm wondering if we shouldn't be transitioning more towards a matter of fact sort of presentation of this is who we are and this is what medicine costs and this is what we do and this is this is kind of why we do it um, and, and just being very and maybe even a bit more out in the open than we are um, and 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 that I say that for a couple of reasons right number one. I think it increases transparency, which increases trust, which is we said this is what we are. We said this is what we do. Uh, and now you're here and now this is what we're doing. I, th- I think that that does help speed that relationship along. But um, the other the other reason to sort of put that stuff out there is, um, oh, man, now I'm trying. I'm trying to remember what I was, was going to say. Where was I going with this? Uh, to, to put, I know. Oh it's man, to put it out there to build trust and and, and transparency. But but then oh then then also just to let us um kind of kind of set set boundaries. You know what I mean? It's sort of like it 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 takes the load off of our shoulders of trying to be all things to all people. We said, hey, this is this is who we are. This is what we do. And if you don't like that, that's fine. There was another, there was a, a study that came out recently. It's in a Canadian journal, Canadian veterinary journal. And it was talking about the relationship between customer satisfaction and veterinarian mental health. And what it basically said was to some degree, uh, the after a certain point, the higher the customer satisfaction, the more negative the impact on the veterinarian's mental health. Meaning that if you try to please these people and you do everything in your power to please them, it has a, a negative effect on you. And I, I think that that's true. And I think that having a sort of a cap of this is who we are and this is what we do, I think that's probably a very healthy thing for us as professionals. Well, you, you know, you want to talk about transparency. What do clients see in your practice? The parking lot, a waiting room, and an exam room. So the value of perception to them is three things a parking lot, a waiting room and an exam room. <laughs> Give them a tour. Let them see the technology that you've got within your practice, and maybe they can truly appreciate things from an from an overhead standpoint as well. So, yeah, and and, and I think that we we're, we're talking about access to care and cost of care, and you know the the uh, the concepts of communication. Well, communication starts before they even come in. The client experience starts before the client even comes in. 
And what about even having a video tour on the website? I love what some of these realtors are doing with these 3D tours of of homes. Mm -hmm. Why not do that for your hospital and have that as a welcome? Hi, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke. I'd like to walk you through our hospital right now, just so you can get an idea of all the services and, and technology that we can provide for you and your pet. And so even when they come in, they have a perceived higher perceived value. I, I think we just really need to bring that value proposition up as well to go along with this transparency and other conversations. So here's there's some good news, because I feel like we have uh, the, all three of us have as we as we do soapbox a little on things that we're doing bad. Right. And and that we're struggling with as an industry because we have a lot of areas of opportunity. And I feel like I feel like we could this conversation could very easily feel beat up because there's a lot of room for us to grow and improve. But there's some really good news because we know that the numbers of pets that are getting help and care has have gone up in record numbers over the last two years. And specifically to to Peter's point, an area where I think we're succeeding in spite ourselves there has been statistical information that's come out of uh, North American Pet Health Insurance has done a has done a study. They do a state of the industry report, right? And we know that pet owners are accessing care at really high rates. We also know they have said to us, pet owners have said, fifty percent of them that they would be more likely to seek out insurance or. Uh, alternative options like care credit if our, if we talked about it. So they're telling us what they want and it gives us an incredible opportunity to turn around and give them what they want. We can make these changes to your point, Andy, doing things like having the simple conversation um, in the exam room or to Peter's suggestion, putting, putting educational videos on our website. These are all controllable things that we can fix. And we also know that we're succeeding in spite ourselves because the number of patients and clients that are accessing pet health insurance is going up year over year for the last five years, almost 24%. So if we're doing such a horrible job of educating them, which we we all kind of anecdotally feel like we are, they're still seeking out things and ways that are helping them access our care, which is good news. So I feel like this provides us an incredible opportunity to sit back as a, as a whole, as an industry and think, how can we get out of our own way? And how can we stop putting up some of these barriers? How do we make it easier for them to tell us what they want and actually actively listen to your point, Andy. Well, yeah. and, and and I don't know, Andy, if you knew that I actually worked for um, veterinary pet insurance now nationwide for two years. I think I think you told me that before. It was before I knew you. Yeah. Well, I think you were still in vet school. Um, <laughs> no. So I worked in. I ran their claims department for two years. So I have a an integral understanding of pet health insurance. Besides having insured my pets, even as a veterinarian and having insured my employees' pets. And, and I had a breakfast meeting with Jack Stevens many years ago. And we sat down and I said, Jack, if you could have gone direct to consumer, if you had the budget to do so back in the 80s, would you have done so? And he said, absolutely. He said, the veterinarians have been the greatest barrier to the growth of pet health insurance. The consumers would have bought into it if the veterinarians weren't such a barrier. And I think I, I'm, I'm begging my colleagues to get a better understanding of where pet health insurance can fit in to the practices. I know there's tremendous misinformation and disinformation. And if you go online, you'll get 
more negative mm. websites than positives. But yeah. it, from a from a practice standpoint, when I was in practice, pet health insurance definitely increased the number of visits that we saw from clients and their willingness to spend. And I still have my pets insured. So I, I think we have to do a better job of advocating for pet health insurance as veterinarians. And I think we also need to do at least take a neutral role and not be so negative about it and have a couple of policies that, that you've tried for your own pets or for your clients, your employees' pets and advocate for those. I'm, uh, there's plenty of great resources and plenty of great companies that are out there. Do your due diligence and consumers want to hear about it. Who better to hear about it from than you and not Dr. Google? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think this is a good place to, to wrap this up. I, I, I want to I leave us with this thought though. I, and I'm, I'm curious if you guys are on board. I am very positive about vet medicine in the future. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you look at the at the care that we're providing pet owners and how they seek it out, and and uh, you know the compliance that that is there. Uh, our services are in great demand, and they're going to continue to be in great demand. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do work that that matters, and that people see value in. And I just, I feel like yes, we're working through things, and the world is changing around us. Yeah. But but my honest belief in the future is that vet medicine is going to be a great place to be. Uh, and, and again, this is you know, access to care, um, pricing of care, all those sorts of things. There are things that we're going to work through. But I think that if we just support pet owners and, and take care of our people, of our staff, you know, and, and, and run healthy businesses, I think that we're going to come out in a very good place doing work that matters and that we enjoy doing. And so I, that's mm-hmm. just a sweeping generalization for the profession. I'm still very bullish about where we're going. I think that that the pandemic has pushed us forward in a lot of ways that may ultimately end up being very good for us. So Mm -hmm. uh, do you guys agree with that? Parting thoughts? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take a line out of Peter's book and just say yes to all of the above. (laughs) No, Andy, I I fully concur. I I mean, I think think we have a world of opportunity. And um, I think we need to look we need to we need to embrace change mm-hmm. and we need to look for ways to continue to improve each day every day and not look back i think um i think covid curbside forced a change mm-hmm. and and that force worked out okay prior to that nobody wanted to change and guess what we survived <laughs> okay <laughs> so i'm suggesting that if you make a 1% change every day in a positive direction. Stop looking through the freaking rear view mirror and look through the windshield and look to improve your practice just 1% every day. I think your practice and your team and everybody else will be beneficial, benefited, excuse me. And I think the profession will be benefited as well. We've got a great profession. We've got a world of opportunity. We need to get our foot off the brake, put our foot on the gas, look through the windshield, and set our own direction going forward and make sure your windshield is completely transparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Great. Thanks, guys. It. Hey, everybody, you guys have a have a wonderful day. And uh, Stephanie and Peter, have a wonderful weekend. I'll see you guys next week. You too. Take care, guys. Thanks, Andy. Bye-bye. That's it for another episode. Thanks so much for joining us this week. I really want to thank our guest, Dr. Peter Weinstein, and I especially want to thank Pets Best Pet Health Insurance for sponsoring this week's episode. Take care, everyone. We'll see you again next time.